welcome to the St. Richard's Podcast Sermon of the Week. This week's message is given by Tanner Ams. For more information, please visit strichards.org. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. I beg your forgiveness this morning as uh, my wife recently brought home a head cold from the school that she works at and it has made its way through me and I'm still dealing with the congestion. I'm not just doing a bad impression of Sam Elliott. As Father Cameron mentioned, we've, we've done a lot of skipping around in the story of Exodus through the past few weeks. Last week we heard the story of the golden calf and the trouble with idols. And now this week we see Moses speaking with God and interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. The people who have screwed up and complained and moaned and wished to be back in Egypt and in the bondage of slavery and doubted God. These are the people who Moses stands and speaks for. They were fairly certain that Moses had abandoned them in the wilderness whenever he went up onto the mountain and disappeared into the smoke and the fire. And they demanded that Aaron make an idol like the ones that they had seen in Egypt and the ones that the nations that were probably currently around them used. And Moses is now being asked by God to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. God had said to Moses that God will send the angel ahead of the people to deliver the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But for Moses, that is not enough, and he wishes for God to go with the people into the land. You see, Moses values the relationship with God and wishes to share this relationship with the people of Israel. God has been meeting with Moses as Moses makes his way into the tent of meeting, aptly named, set outside of the encampment of the nation of Israel. It said that Moses goes in and speaks on behalf of the people with the Lord as if with a friend. Moses knows the value of a relationship with God, but the people as a whole do not. There is a remnant of an impersonal connection between creation, humanity, and deity for them. You see, in Egypt, it was not a personal God that they saw being worshipped. Rather, it was a cult that sought to manipulate and appease the gods that they were offering sacrifices to. Being raised up in that environment, the thought was carried out among the people of Israel that God is out there somewhere, 
and he does not care for me. However, I can pray and I can sacrifice to manipulate God into doing what I want God to do. This is about manipulation and appeasement. Clearly, God is hungry and needs the food that we offer, or he is angry with us and this sacrifice of blood or grain or fill in the blank will make him happy. This is the reason for the grumbling that occurred against Moses and Aaron, which those two attribute to actually being grumbling against the Most High. This is the reason that they felt the need to have an image made to worship and to offer sacrifices to, because clearly this God of Israel operates in the same way that the gods of Egypt and of Canaan and of the Hizzites and the Amorites operate. This God must be appeased, because an unappeased God is an angry God. This is an understanding at some level that the gods do not care about humanity at all. Maybe they care at kind of a macro level, like humans are an okay thing, let's not wipe them all out. But they don't care about you or I. However, The God who says that his name is I am does not operate in this way. The Most High is not about interactions of appeasement or manipulation. It is not about making enough of the right sacrifices to make your crops grow. No, this God who says that his name is I am and introduces himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob wants something different. Let us remember that even though Israel has complained and moaned and acted out, God still plans to give them the land that he promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. So what gives? Moses, here in our passage, stands before God, as he has done many times before, interceding on behalf of the people of Israel And this is the response that the Lord gives to him. I know you by your name. But God, you need to go before your people and be strong and a powerful deliverer. I know you by your name. God, show me your glory. Moses, I know you by your name. For God... For the great I am, for the most high, this is all about relationship. God knows Moses by his name, and Moses knows God's personal name, I am. This is a first name basis relationship. This is not the God of the nation of Israel, this amorphous blob of humans bound together by a common ancestor, but this is the God of each and every individual Israelite. It is, intru- it is demonstrated in how God is introduced again, saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
each of them individuals who enjoyed a relationship with the Most High, and he knows their names. In fact, he changes a couple of their names. Abraham was not always Abraham, he was Abram. Jacob did not continue to be Jacob all of his life. So perhaps it is important to say that this is the God of Israel because Israel was Jacob's new name. God is personal and he cares for humanity, not on the macro scale as, hey, this humanity is a pretty cool creation, let's not kill all of them, but on the individual scale. Often whenever we see tragedy in our world, the Christian's response is to look to see what the church is doing. The church prays, the church works with the poor, the church responds to the needs of the community, the church has a testimony that it carries forward. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, probably his his first letter, tells the power that is found in the testimony of that church. Word has spread throughout Macedonia and Achaia about the church's turn from idols and that they have become an example throughout the region. In fact, they are so much of an example that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy no longer need to introduce the people who have turned in Thessalonica because everybody's heard about it already. There is power in the testimony of the church and the things that that church is doing or has done. Transformational power that ended up carrying throughout the region. And Paul thanks them for that. Probably because it makes his introduction work a little bit easier. Have you heard about Thessalonica? Yes, we have. Oh, cool. Don't have to tell you that story. The people of Macedonia and Achaia already knew about the church's turn from the worship of idols and the worship of the one true God that had happened and was happening there. What I think is important for us to recognize is that Paul is not referencing the action of a church, but rather the actions of individuals that are united together by a faith in Jesus Christ. A group can turn and act, but only whenever individuals of that group act in the same way and of the same heart. The church does nothing without the actions of individuals. The church's response to a tragedy is nothing without individual responses. The church is not an amorphous blob of humans but it is a gathering of individuals, each of which God knows your name. So whenever we look to the church to see what the church is doing in response to something going on in the world, what we should be doing is looking and seeing what are Christians doing in response. Remember, I know you 
by name. And it's important that it's not just Moses or Paul or Sylvanus or Timothy or Cameron or Jerry or Tanner or Caroline or Annie or Don. Each and every one of us, God knows you by name. God desires a personal relationship with you. God wants your testimony and your story to be powerful and for you to know that your prayers and your broken hearts matter to him. During this time, we have what we call stewardship season and the conversation tends to revolve around what is St. Richard's the church doing? Rightfully so, it's important to know what resources are being utilized by the church. But I think that what we have to learn about the interaction between God and Moses is that God cares about what you do individually. St. Richard's the church does nothing without the actions of individuals. And the church's story is nothing without the story of individuals. The church cannot pray on its own, but each of us gathered together in prayer, pray together as the church. This is our response to things that seem broken and wrong. And this is not a response of some sort of manipulation or appeasement of a deity that we are seeking. We are not seeking to make God happy enough that he comes into our lives and makes everything right. We are not seeking to make God not be unhappy with us as the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates in our gospel reading. You see, the Pharisees gather and they try to trap him, to manipulate Jesus to convince him to slip up in some way and say something that'll either really, really make the Roman Empire mad or give them enough reason to cast him out and not care about what he says. So he turns it around on them and says, produce the coin. And they do. And then he calls them a hypocrite, which seems out of place, until you recognize that the coin is an idol. It had Caesar's face and Caesar's inscription on it, and the inscription of Augustus Caesar was, Son of God. God is not a God of manipulation. The Most High is not a God that seeks to be appeased and turned from anger to prevent our burning. God is a God who desires relationship. As I was preparing this week for this sermon, I was reminded of an episode of the BBC program Rev. Rev is about a Church of England vicar who serves in a struggling inner city parish. He has dealt with all sorts of struggles and tribulations and is in a really hard spot. And there's a particular clip that came to my mind. Excuse me one second. 
In this clip, we see Adam kind of on the nose, carrying a cross up a hill. Adam is the vicar. And as he gets to the top of the hill, he begins singing a a hymn called The Lord of the Dance. And he begins to dance. And this is not a dance that is one that would invite being joined in upon. (laughs) It is awkward and strange and jerky and uncoordinated. And as he dances and sings, there's a stranger who approaches dressed in a jogging suit and a, uh, a toboggan on his head, played by Liam Neeson. And this stranger begins singing with him and dancing alongside of him, matching his jerky and uncoordinated movements. And after this, they sit on a bench at the top of the hill, and this stranger begins to speak to Adam about the things that he's learned about the world, and then uses these very cliche idioms, one of which being, you are what you eat doesn't necessarily speak mass amounts of wisdom into Adam's situation. And so he comes to the conclusion that most of the audience comes to as well, that this person is just out of his mind. Or at the very least, quite eccentric. Yet Adam continues to sit there and listen to what the stranger says. And finally, at a certain point, sensing the frustration growing within Adam, Liam Neeson's character says, Adam, Adam, we all have a cross to bear. The camera pans out and we see that Liam Neeson's character is no longer there, but there is something different about the face of Adam where you could see all of the weight and pain that he was carrying along with him as he trod up the hill, even while he was singing Lord of the Dance and dancing his head off. That is replaced with hope. The circumstances that Adam faces are absolutely not any different. He still has to deal with his bishop and his congregation after this interaction, but something changes in him hearing who we assume to be God say his name. Let us remember that Moses never got to enter into the promised land. Paul was martyred for his preaching along with many of the early church by the Roman Empire But Paul talks often about the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a hope that I think is bound up here in this lesson that we get from the response of God to Moses. So I pray that we remember in the midst of our trials and struggles, where we turn on the news and seems like there is nothing great and glorious going on, there are all sorts of pain, God knows you by name. He invites us to join in the divine life. He invites us to pray. He invites us to relationship. 
found in our daily walks with him, in the sacraments, and in each of our ministries, not just the ministries of the church proper. God deeply cares for each and every one of us. And that's the hope of Paul and of Moses and of Adam. Today, my friends, God says to you, I know you by name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.